I've accidentally run to Windsor. Yeah, I've mistakenly run to Windsor. I didn't mean to, it's uh, just the endorphins kicked in and uh, I couldn't stop. My legs are gone, man. It feels brilliant. Good evening, gentlemen. We're back after a week's hiatus because I can't remember when my birthday is. So uh, thanks for catching up with us now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was your birthday and the final of RuPaul UK. It was, so more important things. Oh, God. It's cultural. It's so good. Uh, It is is good. I'm naming all my driver rides after RuPaul contestants. (laughs) No, Beadle will agree with you there. She's like in season 12 in America is the best one. Yes. It starts off slow, but then it just, it hits like new peaks. Yeah. Gigi Good is the absolute. She's amazing. (laughs) Speaking of which, I'm going to shave my legs this weekend. That's exciting. It's it's getting sunnier, isn't it? The sun's coming out. It is. Do you reckon like if you, I I know it's not really how hair works, but. If you had it's like thick enough hair and then you got a nice little early suntan, you would have like a slight sort of tan line from your leg hair. <laughs> like if the sun didn't quite get like didn't quite get through the that layer. So if you yeah. if you left it for say like a month, Sam, go riding loads and then sort of you get like sort of like the paint speckles on you. I might do one leg as an experiment, have like the uh you should do it in strips. Leg. Do it in strips. Yeah. Right. Was it, it was yeah. testing out something a while ago where um, obviously the development of the aero socks and they were putting trips on the on the left hand side yeah. and the right hand side of the ankle. And Dowser, I believe, I think it was on his Twitter, so you might be able to go find it. Um just shaved his legs and left two strips running up his legs. So you could you could go for that look. It might even you could do it and you know, get the tan on, add those extra five watts that it clearly gives you. Be on it. Yeah. Because I suppose Make isn't that the argument? It's like if I, they they did some like some tape on their up their shins, didn't they? And it's like to break the airflow or some of that. I think, but there yeah. was some like slight, some slight thought behind it. Yeah, there is some aerodynamic properties behind it. I'm not that aerodynamics. Isn't, that's normally Connor's strong point. Um, but yeah, it kind of makes the air more turbulent, so it sticks round it, round the air, round the leg longer, which means there's less pocket of negative air pressure, which pulls you back. I think that's how it works. More push, um, less drag. And then you know, obviously, if it makes it faster, the UCI will ban it. So. <laughs> yeah classic governing I think, body i think they do listen to this podcast actually they're one of the four mm, i've heard i've heard got. they they listen to it you know they they were actually they sent me a message saying they're quite disappointed <laughs> we didn't get one out last week <laughs> next week all the pro riders are just be covered in tape that's yeah. the trend <laughs> i'm gonna shave my legs i'm gonna go for like a 90s wembley football pitch look you could do different designs, couldn't you? Like circular, diagonals, <laughs> diamonds. Yes. Be nice. What? <laughs> like around your kneecaps, have like the centre circle where they go round and round it, like concentric. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be trying that out. But yeah, it's skin suits only from now on, I think. Short sleeve. Job done. I'm ready to go for it. <laughs> nice. I mean, I haven't ridden for two weeks, so... Um, no, there's oh, there's no. me. I'll probably probably not going to be shaved my legs oh, i lost my lawsuit um with a uh, lacquer so that's lawsuit. Uh, yeah <laughs> they uh, they, they re- re- rejected my uh rejected my insurance claim so i had to buy my own wheel 
Oh. I know, I know. But then the worst bit is I had to buy a new disc rotor as well, which got lost in the post. So I've got everything I need, but I can't go riding because I haven't got a rotor. Ah, oh. I'm assuming they're not sponsoring this episode then, honest term. <laughs> no, no, it's one of, the, one of the only podcasts Lacker don't sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> does, it, does that mean we're looking yeah. for a new title sponsor now? A <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> new one? We're yeah. looking for A1. <laughs> yeah, actually, on that time, you looked on that little, um, what was the company called again? Oh, um, Podcorn. 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 Yeah, I lost interest yeah. in beg- begging people to sponsor us, so um, I have more important things to do. No. Uh, oh, is it my email? Right. Well, whilst you keep chatting, I'll check. I'll see our sponsors are there again. Okay, we have a live sponsor update. But while said yeah. doing that, um, have we been enjoying the racing, gentlemen? Because there's been some amazing women's and men's races going on the last couple of weeks. It has been fantastic, hasn't it? Obviously, yeah, we um, had we had the there? women's healthy aging tour, didn't we? Yeah, which was well good. One of my coach riders, I will drop that in there right now. Just oh, to yeah. point that down there. We had April Tacey racing for drops. And then if anyone saw on the TT stage, it, they got postponed because of the weather conditions because of the wind. And if you looked at the video, it would look absolutely horrendous. So they banned it for TT bikes. Oh, um, yeah, it was road bikes, wasn't it? I saw that. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it I, I, was. I think more races should be road bikes TT. It's just good like, just to mix it up a bit. Like I suppose it makes sense for sort of like the uh, UAE tour, like the uh, tour down under, where they just can't go to ship a TT bike there, but it still makes you have a time trial stage in there. The technical circuits do look quite mm. well. They are exciting to watch, aren't they? Technical, you know, and you know, as much as TTs are fun, you know, out and back when the technical, there's all sorts of going on. You you got lots of the time checks going on. It makes for a much more exciting racing as well, and much more complicated kind of approaches for the riders. You know, they yeah. think they can't just go right full gas and then full gas back. There's right, there might be two, three climbs we've got to get through the technical sections because obviously time trial bikes aren't renowned for their handling but i don't know if i remember seeing i think it was you often get clips of fabian cantilavas as well and the way he would handle his dd bike it was impressive work you know what because i when i went on mine it's sketchy as anything you know going from a mountain bike race and you know being technically not too bad and then a tt bike thinking i can't even ride on a straight line with a bit of sidewind i should not be steering my elbows that's not where like that's not what they're made for (laughs) (laughs) it does feel very it took me quite a while to get used to, you know, going from, you know, like 740 bars, you know, you're upright, you know, every single pedal stroke, you're bouncing up and down to a TT bike that's rigid as anything on your elbows on, yeah, and the bars no wider than your shoulder all tucked in. It's like, oof, it's, yeah. Do you think um, there's going to be quite a lot of road bike TTs from the looks of it We're on like the Surrey courses and things like that? Do you think that will bring quite a few more people to getting into the sort of the TT scene? Yeah, I'd imagine so, especially with TTs coming back. What, and I think they're coming back in the next couple of weeks, aren't they? Yeah. So I think people just want to find some sort of some sort of racing, some outlet, you know, see if that training has worked. You know, obviously with social distancing, you know, in place, but you can still have a bit of a social event, even if the conversation is two meters away from someone. And it's just it's to pin that number on the back. You know, we have been lucky. We have had riff racing and such, but we all know it's not quite the same. And, you know, we've repeated TTs over you know, over the weeks, you can then set your own progress and see how you're improving against your mates. You know, if you're all on road bikes, obviously the aero equipment doesn't come into it as much as obviously if you, with the TT side of things and obviously obviously position does and everything like that. But it just means you can have a bit more of a social racing side against your mates, you know, and yeah. there's what, been no proper racing for nearly a year. Obviously, TTs did come back towards the back end of the season, but to be honest, I think people will just want to race. 
you know, I'm going to do a few TTs on my road bike just to get back into racing just for fun. You know, that's what we do. We enjoy racing our bikes as much as, you know, there is with racing, there's training. We like going fast and beating our mates, don't we? It definitely makes it more enticing for me than a dual carriageway where everyone's in to get like, you know, all the equipment and stuff like that. Like being able to ride a, a road course and it's got up and downs, it's got turns and it's a bit more technical. I just think it's way more interesting and it's a bit longer than just a 10 mile TT. So you do all that effort warming up and then it's, you know, 24 minutes or 35 minutes. If you said, <laughs> I have done it. And the road races as well <laughs> can use it as a bit of a, bre- as bre- a bit of a breakaway kind of, um, try on the road bikes as well. You know, you can go on your road equipment, test that out. Is your position getting faster? That's sort of things as well. Cause you know, you might find yourself in a road race and you go, well, there's 10 miles to the finish, you know, 16.8k or 16.1, whatever it is, and you attack. So how do you know how to pace that? You know, you can experiment with the TTs, you can incorporate into your training, you can ride over there. You know, obviously when groups of six allowed, you could ride over in groups of six, you could then, you know, do the TTs and ride off home. You could make a day out of it, you know. Yeah, that, that's what Van der Poel was doing, wasn't it, at the cross races? He'd win the cross race and then motor pace like 100k home, like a flat out. <laughs> Insane. Insane. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, sort of like um the foot like football managers when they like you 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 only come on for ten minutes, so you've got to then sort of do another like, forty minutes of like cardio after a match, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> your race wasn't long enough. Get back out there and do some more. Yeah, we're all celebrating the win. You've got to go and run some laps. Yeah, yeah. So um yeah, the, speaking of the healthy aging tour, did you see the course they did on the final stage? Like the man-made, it's a like a crit track yes. almost. Oh, it was so good. Had yeah, like they, got the cobble, cobble. they got the cobble climbs in there as well. Yeah. It, oh, wow. This sounds amazing. It was, it was such grippy, a cool course. Grippy. And it was brilliant for spectating because it was just a loop they were going around, but it was long enough that it wasn't just a tiny track. But it was it was really hilly, had some wicked descents, quite narrow. Um, yeah, and it all blew apart. And it was a really exciting race, actually. It came down quite close, didn't it, till the very end. Yeah, it's tough racing those. Especially it was they had the weather, the poor weather with them as well, which just made it it just yeah. makes for a grim day out as well. And you know, for racing that's hard, it makes it even harder. You know, you gotta stay warm. I think that was one of the reasons why Van der Poel attacked on was it the penultimate stage? You know, his excuse oh, um, was yeah. Yeah. his excuse was I wanted to stay warm. You know, which yeah. is a relative <laughs> you know, can be quite a sensible thing to do if you're in the wheels and the water's just splashing around, your kit's getting wet you know in a bunch of that you know that many riders you could be just knocking out 150 watts it's probably not even enough to stay you know for those guys it's not even enough to stay warm so i mean if you can got the legs why not yeah 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 sure. and it, it makes it exciting doesn't it like it, it it's, it's a bit more for the fans just to look out the robins watching another person go back and grab a raincoat you just want to see his little <laughs> white shorts Put it on getting for 20 minutes more and more transparent by the minute no. Yeah, and we were just <laughs> counting down the clock, seeing if he was going to get caught on the line, and you could see him in the background as he was coming up, and it was it's made for some exciting racing, some really yeah. exciting. I, I think definitely from that as well. It's like both times uh, podcast club second on, on on a stage is like been him just going as a lone leader. I've got to chase him down. Not else to do this with me, and he just goes off. Not quite like as long range, but it's definitely been. Oh no, sorry, he did that and then Adam Yates was trying to chase another one, wasn't it? But um, yeah. yeah, every time it's sort of he's been just going for it and, and trying to catch his brakes on his own rather than sort of sitting on the wheels and, and rolling people on the line. It's made, yeah, it's, it's been a really good opening season of racing for both, you know, man and female riding. It's been, it's been gripping to watch, which is for great sure. to see. And San Remo was obviously absolutely insane. 
with the, oh. a bunch. I mean, Michael Gogol is my favourite rider. I love him that he was just amongst that. No, Strada Bianca that was, sorry. We've spoken about that. Yeah. San Remo. Like, what? What? <laughs> Gogol won San Remo. Did no one see that? Was that just me? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, no, well, San the, Remo the best was bit about crazy. San... Yeah, I'll say the best bit about San Remo as well is that Spike and Tips have um, paid Cosmo Catalano to do more how the races won. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I saw that. First one back. Yes. It was good. It was weird seeing. Although, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, I don't, I'm, you're not, I'm not going to see your face. I know. I want to see funny clips. <laughs> oh, it's such a, it's such an exciting race, Milan San Remo. You know, I've I've got some stats here. Do we want to hear some stats? I've got some yeah. numbers. Obviously, I've, Do I? I've been going. <laughs> I've been going through. Ninety nine percent of it is pointless. <laughs> no, it's like test cricket. You, you said about that. Said you need. No, that but other I, I say that. Said. But equally, but Test Cricket has more than one crescendo. That's true. <laughs> it has no crescendo. So wasn't it? In the last two two and a half kilometers, Jasper, what did he do? He was five hundred and fifteen watt average, and it was he's done pretty much five thousand nine hundred kilojoules worth of work in that entire race. So normally like a Cat Two road race might be two and a half thousand kilojoules, maybe three, depending on obviously weight, obviously a bigger rider high, high average power output. You know, that's that's a big day out in the saddle. Can you, you know, can you put that into context in terms of I don't know, it might not be that directly comparable, but like in Jesus. terms of food, yeah, like that's like, I, mean, I, I can't picture a kilojoule of energy, but like how much, yeah, how, how many, like how much food is that? Is that, a, I know it's a lot, but yeah, probably a lot is going to be the <laughs> easiest way of putting that. A lot, there's, yeah, it's, it is my, um, what they do. my beer has 475, so he needs like. About twenty beers. Well, and then you'll have to times that by four because obviously we're only twenty five percent efficient, generally mathematically. Let's say so. When most cyclists, generally speaking, about from what I've seen in the lab, sixteen to twenty two, you can get up towards twenty five percent. Obviously, then you still have to times that by four, so it's it's a lot. So yeah, yeah. and it's and the fatigue resistance capabilities of these riders is it's not just you've got to stay away from the front for that first half, you know. It's almost like going up the climb and then slowly drifting back of the bunch. You've got to be absolutely on your nutrition, you know, completely. You miss a feed stone or, a, you know, a feeding section. You you need that fuel. You'll be getting through so, so much. Because obviously we, the full race is what, it's about 260, was it 266K about the actual race distance? Which is, but the actual which is, distance is, that, is 307. Yeah. And I said that that's quite a short one, isn't it? Like 260. It's, it's often up like the high 200s. I suppose actually they might just pretty short on the, uh, the neutral zone then. And it's, yeah, I think it was on Van der Poel uploaded his driver as well, and he did five thousand nine hundred forty-one kilojoules worth of work, and that's just that's, that's insane, mad. isn't it? Would it be amazing the... if they could only drink beer the whole time? That would make the ending way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> down, down the Poggio descent. Someone binned it, didn't they? On the on the Poggio descent, I just saw like a bike go flying, but I don't know who it was. It was exactly um, where that orange um, padding was, wasn't it? You like that's yeah. probably somewhere we're going. Oh, and he crashes there. It's <laughs> a famous corner because Marcel Chilek. That's where he crashed once. Yes, yeah, yeah. they mentioned Chilek that. Like, corner, they call it. Yeah. Oh, and Caleb Ewan. I oh mean, my word! What that, that was place. just. Yeah, it's amazing. That's that just Tim Wellen, as Tim, well. Tim Wellen's pulling off the front, and Ewan's just sat there, just like mouth he, breathing, just churning. Yeah, he up. went to attack himself. Yeah, he went to attack himself, and I was like, "Whoa, what's going on?" Oh. <laughs> 
you know, and it's just attacks because obviously what they got about 2k running after the end of the Poggio. Yeah. So it's literally just attacking, attacking, and he timed it so well. And then he obviously got a bit of a lead out through, I can't remember the rider. And then just timed it, you know, he was like, oh, it's, it, oh. it was Trent, Trenton, I think, launched first. Yes, that, I yeah. think that was, yeah. It, yes. If it only good. he had Wellens, though. If Wellens had made it to the top of that Poggio, he would have won all day long. But because he was in it, that's why Stoyven won, because no one's going to chase with, no one's going to take you into the line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why would you? You know, it's been to that, of that caliber. You don't want to drag that. Yeah. It sort of does like squash the argument a little bit. As well. That was an outstanding ride. Mm. Yeah. Even his little mini attack at the end, wasn't it? And then. Yeah. Because him and the road, they were drilling it on the descent as well. And they were really putting their pressure on. Because imagine, you know, some of these riders will look at the power outputs and go, okay, that's not, you know, insane numbers. But you try doing that after the distance they've done, you'd be in a hole. And then they're still pushing on. You know, you can. No, I said like especially like with Pigfogs, but his what his first race, first year as a, a World Tour pro, it does sort of like remove the argument of that you you have to do like do the time to do San Remo, and like it's all about hiding in the wheels and sort of having a massive engine and loads of years to back it up, and sort of even Van der Poel and Van Aert are sort of coming in relatively green still and still being there right at the end of it, and that was like the big um... question mark over a lot of these cross riders and stuff, and they're they're sort of removing the argument of that you have to have be like a time serve rider to race for 300k there's some crazy yeah, exactly. stuff, isn't um, there like debut riders do really well in it like cavendish won on his debut loads of people have won on right. their debut and then done badly after that because they then get more marked out and stuff and like that's why i think sagan will still win san remo one time because like when people don't care about him that's when he'll do well but people just get marked out of it and therefore don't stand a chance and you don't want to burn too many matches on on that sort of event because that you know it, because of that duration those are limited yeah and, you know and you know we can't forget though Pickard has had a pretty outstanding road season for the last couple of years as well with the baby Giro obviously he announced his mountain bike race calendar as well with Ineos he's looking to get selection for the Tokyo Olympics obviously points uh, points depending with the World Cup selection side of things so there's a massive pedigree of road races in there with all sorts of different backgrounds and I think we see riders are it's making for some absolutely exciting racing. You know, wasn't there a stat on the... Um, oh, oh, we can't forget Paris-Nice, can we? No. <laughs> Happened on the final stage as well. Oh, oh Rog, it. Rog did a Rog. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I got completely his... off tangent then. I was like, no, oh, there's something else as well. I was like, at, least, just... at, least he had his, at least he had his dignity with his helmet this time, though. <laughs> yeah, but he had his bum out. Yeah, was, wasn't it like he um on social media the night before he was trolling because he took a picture with the helmet that he did have on in the tour <laughs> in that time trial, but he was wearing it all wonky again, just as a bit of like a just uh, to take the movie. And then in the actual PT he didn't wear it, he wore a different one. But he's just like he doesn't care, just taking yeah. a minute. Like fair play to him, like <laughs> coming back from that and you know, I still think I would love him to win the tour, that'd be so good. Like that would ruin mm. a lot of athletes mentally. That first defeat, let alone, and he did it in Dauphiné as well. He's lost three French stage races on the last day. The last three he's done. <laughs> Do you not think it'd be quite funny though for him to like just every year they just pull a Grant Thomas and just sort of bid himself or do something wrong on the last stage? <laughs> and, like, and that's just his 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 pedigree, his legacy. Sorry, is that? And he's making oh, that'd be great. loads of money from betting against himself on the last day. <laughs> <laughs> anonymous account yeah he you got a feel for him though shoulder as well the last i don't know how far it was did he yeah. try and chase back on 
Oh, yeah, yeah, he, ch- he chased his absolute completely chased his till he couldn't go anymore could he and you could see the respect a lot of the other riders had for him because they were trying to give him little toes i think victor campanart was giving him a bit of a toe as well Buhani, he's much, you know <laughs> Buhani, yeah i love that yeah, I love like, when's behind done anything for anyone else and he yeah, does that exactly <laughs> it's you know it shows that you know as much as you know it's bike racing it's intense they've still got that respect for the rider you don't want to see the yellow jersey down because he's crashed and yeah you know, and it's nice to see that, you know, everyone was helping him out where they could. But, it, yeah. you know, the fact he got so... You could see the back of the Shimano car, couldn't you? There's about 13K. I think it was about 13K to go. Was just yeah, he was so Before close. they got to the... Like, and you're just like, oh, we, we all know that feeling, you know, when when the gap's going, the wheel, the distance is just getting further and further away and you're trying harder and harder, but it's going away. You've got to feel for him a little bit. But and it has made him absolutely fantastic. Did he rode him off a mountain as well? <laughs> <laughs> do you see that on the descent he like nearly went completely off and like yeah they both took a bad line didn't they and he's like oh yeah. no 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think yeah like harry said like why didn't his team go back it's almost like it, it was almost like a radio issue or something like that but it did seem a bit off how they just well they did go they back had, they had a really they... a really strong team but like you think they'd be able to at least manage one that i think the commissaire said on the radio they didn't want any cars getting involved into it so which could then bring him back you know you can't do your normal stick sticky bottle you got a mechanical issue you know and i think yeah because bora were absolutely drilling it on the front and then astana were as well they had to close the gap in the valley before the climb and they burned all their riders as they got to the bottom i think their plan was get as close as possible then he might jump across but actually what might have been better is if they kept kreisweich and all that lot a bit fresher and then helped him up the climb a bit more but Bora, to be fair to them, played an absolute blinder. The opposite to what they did in San Remo, where Shackman and Sagan somehow didn't work together. And then I saw someone post a meme saying they should have said that Roglic had crashed. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they would have ridden on the front a bit more. <laughs> so, yeah. That was good. He went and he, he um, fist bumped Shackman, didn't he? As soon as he'd finished. Like, that's, yeah. that's pretty classy. I do. I do yeah, at least they, they've got that him. respect for each other, haven't they? And, that, and that's for, totally. you know, even... F- for up and coming juniors, you know, under twenty threes, aspiring professional cyclists, you know, you need to have that respect because cycling is a small world. Or at yeah. the end of the day, and Chapman be... felt bad, didn't he? You saw he was like a bit guilty yeah. that he'd taken it, but he had a puncture earlier in the earlier in the race, and they didn't wait for him. He wasn't in the yellow, so I, you know, I think it was completely fair play. Hmm. He yeah. must be. He, I think he's just grateful. This is my theory. He's just grateful that he's not throwing himself off the side of a mountain now. So even if he crashes. And dislocates his shoulder. He's like, at least I'm not flying. Yeah, the like, stage is over. Off, yeah, 100, 200 foot off the floor. Yeah, with and it's skis not cold. On feet. <laughs> and it's that's not true. cold. Yeah. That, I think that's the theory. He doesn't actually mind if he comes second or third just because his yeah, life isn't in Don't send in me danger. back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that leads me. I, I've got a question for you, Alex, that might put you on the spot a little bit. But okay, with well. with old Pog and all those superstars that are at San Remo and also Strada Bianchi, these younger riders who are leading the way, do you think there is a physiological new type of athlete based on early training? Like Van Art, for example, out-sprinted Caleb Ewan, out-TT'd Filippo Ghana, out-climbed Egan Bernal. That is one man doing all those things against the best specialists in their, in their fields. Do you, is there something physiological with the training that people like Van Aert are doing different or is it just 
uh, you know, these are we just very lucky to be living in a time when there's possibly like four or five absolute superstars riding at the same time? I think I think it's going to be a combination of lots of things, really. You know, we can't underestimate the fact that now sports science is fully integrated within cycling, you know, with physiology support. And these riders are having access to it for a much from a much younger age and having that support network of talent development, talent identification as well, and having that whole kind of national governing body structure to put in place to give that opportunity to lots more people. So it might be a case now where cycling is attracting a, a greater pool of people, which is attract. And out of that, you might get then those superstars, which might not necessarily have had it, um, had access to that sport. Otherwise, mm-hmm. obviously genetics will play a big role. There's quite a lot of research looking into genetics, um, we, they have found, I think it was a paper from one of my old lecturers called Alan Williams um, at a Manchester Metropolitan. And they found 23 um, polymorphisms, which, you know, which will kind of suggest more likely that you'll be endurance trained athlete or um, strength type athlete. And obviously those genetic profiles, you know, if you have parents that are equally good, look at Van der Poel, for example, you know, it runs in his, it runs in his blood. So if you put all those factors together, and having, you know, the team supports that are much more clued up on all that, you know, biomechanics, physiology, nutrition, psychology, you know, our nu- nutrition understanding is coming, you know, quick and fast. You know, we're able to really fully optimize performance so we can maximize those race results. And I think that's what's happening is we can make some, it's making some really exciting races, and some really aggressive races. And yes, we have power meters and riders can just stick and look at numbers, but, you know, we can argue that's not been happening recently. And I think... You know, the younger riders are coming through. They've had access to this, so it is making for you know stronger riders or riders being able to progress at a quicker rate. But again, you know, we might be having this conversation again in five years' time when these other younger riders that have come through are then giving you know Wout van Aert and van der Poel yeah. a run for the money, and it's a continuous cycle. You know, it's, yeah. and I think that's what I love about the sport that you know you can have, be talented at a very young age doesn't necessarily you mean you'll be talented later on in life it's no there's no exact you know true picture so it's a case of you know for those younger riders just enjoying your training having fun with your mates and and just working on all those basics you know sleep nutrition training and enjoying it you know you can't look at these bike riders and say they're not enjoying what they're doing can you you know they're so no, cool no, van Aert's pretty funny on social media isn't he yeah and there was a you know, moment think... in um, Strada Bianchi where Alaphilippe rode past Pidcock and like in the middle of like a, you know, they were going all out and he sort of tapped him on the shoulder almost and was like smiling and obviously said something funny to him. And it was a real moment where they were like, yeah, this is pretty cool. Like, that's great that pros are still like, like we would be if we were in the same situation. <laughs> yeah. And it's that respect for everyone. I think, and that's, I think that's kind of part of the unwritten code within the peloton, within cyclists, within, you know, you have that respect for riders, you know, they've earned that place to race and you'll give that rider, you know, obviously you want to try and ride them off your wheel and win, but you still treat them with that respect. And I think, yeah. you know, it's younger riders are coming through and the, the sport's enjoyable, you know, and I think much more because of reaching a bigger audience, more people can get involved within it. So obviously you can have more people. You're more like to have a high kind of pool of talented riders. Yeah. And I guess the margins are actually at that pro level. They're so small that if, a rider comes along where whose genetics are 0.1% more than the other riders. That's actually enough to win a sprint or go, you know, for 10 seconds more up Mont Ventoux and stuff like that. So, the, you know, the tiny increases look like huge developments, but actually physiologically, it's maybe a tiny bit. But at that level, that's enough to 
to win your races. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to look at your team as well around you. How are they protecting you? How are they saving you? You know, what's your nutrition like on the bike as well? Even the psychology side of things in that, you know, do you feel stronger? It's like in some road races, I'd like to be on the front hurting people, hurting myself, but I know I'm in control of that pain rather than following the wheel. Other rides I've been, I've not, you know, I don't want to be on the front. I'd rather, I feel better following someone else's wheel. So it's that kind of mentally, mental strength as well. And and tactics as well. You can have the strongest legs in the world, but if you can't read a bike race, you don't know when to go. Or you're one of those riders that just continually attack, 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 and you know, eventually something will stick. You know, or you just one that just sits in a bunch and goes, ah, okay, I'll have a little, I'll pop out now and see how everyone and sprint for 10 seconds and then go, okay, maybe not. <laughs> you know, it's that aggressive bike racing, which I want to see. You know, it's like some of the junior riders that I work with, I'd much rather they go to a bike race. They get absolutely stuck into it. You know, if they blow the doors off with two laps to go, I'd much rather that than they just sit in the bunch. Because learning at that age is about learning the art of bike racing. You know, they've got loads of time to develop and get stronger. And part of their development is learning to take failure as part of it and to learn from it is always learning. Whereas obviously the riders that might just win, 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 win might not be able to deal when they fail. And having that mental resilience to pick yourself back up understand what may or may not have gone right work on that i think i might have mentioned a previous one where often i'll get the riders to talk about three things that they did well so it might be got you know my nutrition well stayed to the at the front of the bunch and followed the main moves and then find one thing that they want to improve on for next time so it's not creating a that negativity around it but allowing them to understand what has happened in that race and try and articulate it in their own head to debrief what's gone on and then they can continuously move forward with it. So each race is a learning opportunity. Yeah, that's definitely something I, I want to try and do with when I'm racing is actually you don't just judge it by if you win or not. It's actually going, right, I want to try and get in a break. And if I, if you get in a break and then come last, you can still come away from that feeling that you've done well and you've, you know, what you set out for. So it's like goals that are, you know, mid-race and things like that. Then it's much more you can take a lot more away from it rather than did I win? No. Okay. I'm still rubbish. <laughs> yeah. And it's having just any, anyone can have these goals. Like for me, one of them was like to get into the break for national B when I just started road racing, um, which I managed to do. Then I completely forgot my fueling. So I went straight out the back, you know, out of the break. We had two minutes, went straight out of the main peloton and crawled home. So then the next one was like, right, I'm going to get in the break and I'm going to sort my fueling out, you know, and you continuously <laughs> learn learn those things I was, le- I was learning the ropes of road racing because obviously from mountain bike it's an hour and a half you know you've got a feed zone every lap so your fueling's much easier but you know i was excited that i got across into the break um i bridged across with a rider there's about about eight of us in there i was just too excited to be on the break and then i started suffering and when i started suffering i was like i was just focused on suffering rather than eating and if i continued eating i probably you know because that's an area that riders pretty much nine out of ten times neglect is fueling they don't yeah. appreciate how important it is no cool that makes makes a lot of sense and good good advice for your you young'uns like you harry <laughs> i'll keep i'll keep it in mind or oh, i'm always stopped up in jelly babies man i'm absolutely fine and and ice um cake icing so you know sugar buzz <laughs> constantly makes it um, but works <laughs> Like fondant, yeah. you eat like you eat like a block, or you eat like, like a, a runny one. No, you eat a block. You just buy block, a block. Sure. Like the no, that's no. amount of sugar you can buy. No, yeah. I'm with you. I'm all with you. Yeah, no, I actually it's, once it's I, I I was fed up with buying a Cliff Jelly shots, like the shop blocks. So yeah. I actually looked it up and like sugar for sugar. Oh, there's no caffeine in them. Um, like the round trees or whatever the jelly brand is, jelly cubes. 
mm-hmm. are the same amount of energy as a, a cliff block. Obviously, a bit harder to chew, like they're a bit too jelly-like. Um, <laughs> so for a while, I'd actually just... <laughs> I'd little uh, tin foiled up and a bit of icing sugar, loads of jelly blocks individually wrapped, and I'd eat them on a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I've always... Um... I mean, Alex, you're telling me if I'm just chatting utter rubbish here, but... No, you're right. I heard... I probably am, just disclaimer. Don't do anything I say. But I heard that because your body can only absorb a certain amount of sugar per hour, Is mm. it, I don't remember what it is. Is it 50, 60 grams or something? But and, some sweets... Yeah, but some sweets have fructose and, or, and, fr- um, and sucrose or whatever, different types of sugar. So if you can have something that contains two or more types of that sugar you can essentially absorb at a higher rate because you're kind of absorbing it through two different mechanisms i suppose so right fueling sugar sugar. give me some sugar baby right so yeah harry you're pretty much kind of on the right lines so in previously research yeah so so a lot of I'll, i'll start from the beginning so Essentially, there's two main like glucose transporters. You have SGLT and GLUT4, glucose transporter and sodium glucose transporter. I believe they're called. I'm someone. I'm sure someone will correct me on it, but it's pretty much. So Not us. We can only... <laughs> <laughs> originally, <laughs> originally, we could only absorb glucose up to 60 grams an hour. So that's where most of the stuff was working around to. And then we realized, actually, if you change the ratio and add in another type of sugar, you can actually absorb another 30 grams. So actually, we can absorb through a two to one ratio of, generally speaking, multidextrin to fructose. It's normally a sugar that's not particularly sweet and a sugar that is very sweet. Um, you can absorb up to 90 grams an hour. So that's how much you can oxidize. So normally with carbohydrate ingestion, if you go too much too quickly, you will sit with GI issues where it sits in your stomach and it just feels you feel bloated because your body can't simply digest it um, quick enough. So it just sits there. But there has been recent researches which showed within ultra endurance runners that they could um, oxidize 120 grams an hour. So they did a training protocol where they did at least two hours of running twice a week training on 90 grams an hour so essentially as an endurance athlete you can basically do gut training to increase your ability to absorb carbohydrates when utilizing a two to one ratio there are a couple of different ratios out there which will allow maximal oxidation rates Um, and not to get too confused there's oxidation is actually using it and an ingestion rate as well so just because you could eat you know 200 grams of jelly tots doesn't actually mean you'll be able to oxidize you know those 200 grams of jelly tots you know, just as a point out. <laughs> and can, on that, can you train that? So can I train myself to be able to oxidise more jelly tots? <laughs> well, predominantly it'll be glucose, so you'll be pretty much stuck around the 60 grams an hour. So you can try. I mean, you know, let's do a bit of garage science and find out. All right. That's my homework for the next week. So let's do some so zone five efforts tots. and 200 grams <laughs> of jelly tots. No, no. I'll do one of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, so you're not you're pretty much on the right lines, Harry. Well, that uh, is a pleasant surprise, I think. I was, <laughs> for no, I for once. It, but then, see, for <laughs> once, yeah. But because then, so when you're buying energy bars and things like this, yep. you, sh- you should be looking out for bars which have this two-to-one ratio. Generally or... speaking, yeah. Yeah, okay. So if you take a look at um, Slightly Biased, you know, being an 
Here it comes. Talk rider. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Please sponsor Um, us. (laughs) (laughs) A lot. If you go onto their website, um, obviously they've got the range of products and whatnot, but a lot of that there's got, they post all the reference, independent reference research in there as well to support their use. So if the research takes a turn, they will change and develop their products based on, on the research. Um, So it's quite important that they got their guys do follow the research up to date and, and obviously deliver products that match that as well. So obviously fueling is an absolutely key point. So I will back that from a less biased point of view, but like the talks uh, on the website as well, their sort of uh, fueling strategy and the way they sort of lay things out in terms of what different types of fuel are and you can sort of amalgamate them together in whichever way you want, whichever way best suits you is a really useful tool as well. And yeah, you they, sort yeah, of they used the thing, haven't they? Like a poster of all the different things I saw oh, on okay. their social media, which is quite cool. Yeah, yeah, they've got their kind of development of products where all of them contain pretty much 30 grams of carbohydrates. So it doesn't matter whether it's a gel, it's a bar, it's a chew, it's a drink, you know, it, it makes it really nice and easy to ensure that you are fueling adequately, you know, and you can train yourself to obviously absorb towards 90 grams. I know when I did a 12 hour, which was hell, um, I was on about 75, 80 grams an hour on just bars, gels and um, drinks. You know, and obviously there isn't much difference between how quickly those carbohydrates are absorbed between all those different um, bars, gels and drinks. So it's just getting, and a lot of it's just getting used to it. You know, I think I might have said on an earlier podcast, don't try stuff the day before your race. You'll try yeah. new stuff on your race because you might find your stomach just does not get on with it. And that goes the whole point of, you know, preparing for your race, the gut training side of things. I'm sure we've all done it before. I've done it at National and ended up throwing up afterwards just through mixing what I thought was a bargain on eBay and loaded energy gels. You know, that was just to quote, that was quite some time ago, but you know, I was pretty tall. That's, that's, yeah. Uh, that's pretty, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I think I've definitely mentioned this before um, when I had accidentally popped one of those isotonic gels or what are, is it with loads of salt in, is it, is it an isotonic, isotonic gel where they just pack it's an SIS one and it was just full of salt and it essentially just tastes of, salty gelness right before the start you you didn't have that at the right time if you say had that post race when you're sort of when you were more dehydrated you wouldn't they wouldn't have tasted salty because you needed salt you needed the salt exactly which i wish i'd known on the start (laughs) line because that's my biggest (laughs) my biggest ever mistake (laughs) on the start line so alex when you're if you're trying to get you know if people are trying to get between 60 and 75 carbs grams an hour um is it a case of literally you are eating pretty much the whole time like would you recommend that that's basically like like that's the aim is just as soon as you finish one you should be thinking about obviously if it's safe to do so the next thing coming in and it's like just a constant flow of energy going in little and often yeah so from a training perspective um depending on what sort of head unit you have you can i believe in the garmin you can set timers for every 20 minutes so you yeah. can just have that visual not that visual that air you know that sound just to remind yourself that you need to eat um and it's just getting to that discipline that habit you know we've all been guilty and just gone out two three hours and forget forgot forgotten to eat you know some people see it's a badge of honor not being able to eat or drink anything and actually <laughs> you, you know you wouldn't have a formula one car on start line with no fuel in it would you yeah, guess what, guys? No fuel. <laughs> Impressed? <laughs> I suppose. I mean, I'm not picking a massive hole in your analogy, but from could you? Is there an argument to that you could fuel up beforehand, as in like like a fuel tank as such? But like, could you say I'm going to go on a two-hour ride? I could eat enough <laughs> beforehand, or that's not how the body works. 
Well, depends what you're doing in that two hour ride ultimately and what you want to get out of that. If you're doing a session worth of intervals, then obviously you want to start looking from 60 grams an hour upwards. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just doing a steady ride, you know, you could just have a bit of carb in your bottle. Um, obviously then you got to po- you got to refuel as soon as you get in, get in on the ride as well. It de- ultimately depends what you want to do. If you want to get the absolute most out of your training sessions, you can't neglect fueling. Obviously, pre, post, and during are really key. And obviously, we only have around about, on average, about 500 grams worth of glycogen storage. And you'll get that through, if you do intensity, you'll get through that relatively quickly. And obviously, then you'll have a detriment in power output, which might not mean you're hitting your targets in your session. And then afterwards, you know, you're low carbohydrates because you haven't got much in. Your body needs to refuel. You want to be good for your next day session. So rather than even just looking at it from a singular point of view, looking from a week, you know, you're fueling for the next day. It's like stage races or when you've got, you know, a big block over the weekend where, you know, you might have work, you've got Friday off, you've got Saturday, Sunday, you're Monday and you want to do your mini training camp. You know, on Friday, you're not just fueling for Friday's session, you're fueling for Monday session as well. If you want to get the absolute most out of your training. You know, so it's not, it's an area which is easily neglected because you can kind of get by. But then obviously some riders then use it to try and reduce weight and they might not do it in the correct way. And that can lead on to all sorts of other complications from a chronic standpoint. You know, it can lead to eating disorders. There's obviously REDS, which is relative exercise deficiency syndrome, which is more around around about the chronic underfueling and the complications that can lead to later on in life and imbalanced hormonal system degradation of your bone quality as well which is coming quite prevalent in cyclists you know leading to osteoporosis osteoarthritis so if riders especially you know get fixated on that power to weight that power to weight in this country we don't race up mountains and as you know riders that are growing i'm not definitely definitely not too old for that now anyway (laughs) you know they you you need to fuel and eat and there shouldn't be that negative association with fuel you know fuel food is your friend and you need to fuel, you need that energy, you know, especially the young, like the juniors on the team that I work with, you know, they've got school, they've got busy lives, there's lots going on, they're growing, you know, and your body needs that energy, you need that energy to train and you need that energy to recover. So you have to stay on your fueling, otherwise you will have, it will impact on your day-to-day mood, you'll become a bit more grouchy, grumpy, your performance will start to plateau, you know, it's, it's, it's something you want to try and avoid as much as possible. I did a big, on Saturday... I was quite proud of myself because I went, I did a three hour ride and I had six gels and two bottles of mix properly fueled. That's, that hard, boy. that's, that's more than you did on the whole South Downs way. That's more than I've had in two years total. Yeah. <laughs> but it was great. And it, it proves it because for that three hours, I managed 262 watts normalized, which is really good for me to hold mm. it over that period of time. And it just shows that actually, I, because I, I, you get towards, you know, me being budget Billy, you get towards like the last hour of a training ride. You're like, well, I don't want to waste this gel. Uh, I don't need, <laughs> We've like, all been there. Need it. And then I was like, no, this is stupid because I know like, even if I'm 20 minutes, I'm still going to have this because I need it for when I, when you finish, you, your body doesn't yeah, stop yeah. processing stuff. Like the second you press stop on your Garmin. <laughs> and then you'll you just spend the rest of the day, it. you'll spend the rest of the day just sort of mulling out. Yeah, exactly. Just, you can't, you, you're, you're so, um, I can't feel the word. Not enough inside you. Yeah. Uh, depleted. That's the one. Yeah, so it made a big difference, yeah, actually. I got yeah. in, I had a protein shake, and I then didn't sit and eat loads of food, and then I was, you know, ruined for the rest of the day. And it was, technically, it was probably one of the hardest rides I've done ever, you know, for that sort of period of time. And I was fine. I could go out. I was, 
And it's because of those gels, you know, you're not eating that much, but it just makes that little bit of different. It doesn't build up. So I'm going to keep shoving gels up my shorts because that, that's why it I makes, make sure them. <laughs> and people often judge like how well an energy product works by if they feel that buzz, you know, that's that instantaneous energy. And ultimately, if that you feel that you haven't actually fueled right, you shouldn't feel any better. You should just feel like you did at the start and be able to carry on going. Yeah, that fresh. You know, and if you. Yeah, so you shouldn't really be judging the quality of an energy product based on how much of a buzz you're feeling. That means you've got your fueling strategy wrong from the off. So if you yeah, and even caffeine if you just had well, sugar cubes, it? yeah, I mean, I always say to riders have caffeine towards the latter half of a ride because obviously it's a neurostimulant as well. So what it will do is it will reduce your sensations of fatigue or your RPE. So let's say you're doing 260 watts and the Borg scale six to twenty, twenty being absolute, you know, van der Poel finishing attack sort of thing, and six, you know, your grand's gone past you on the bike and it should reduce that well. number so let's <laughs> you know let's say you sat you know you just said you're 266 watts you know you say it's a 14 out of 20 and you know it might then become a 12 out of 20 just to put it really crudely you know that's, yeah. that's where caffeine is you know and some people are super sensitive to it as well yeah i think i am because i don't drink tea or coffee at all so when my body has caffeine it's like what the flip is this <laughs> it mm. loves it little little story so that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna buy as many bargain gels as possible unless talk corner sponsors this podcast and alex is gonna hook us up then um <laughs> i'll have to start purchasing some but that's fine <laughs> <laughs> or jelly tots i might just go might just um get a blender well, is jelly tots round trees is it round trees for jelly tots Ooh, yeah, I, think, I think it is yeah i do i do like jelly tots to be fair they yeah, are that, that is your goal for next week get us a jelly, jelly tots, tots. <laughs> on it on it i can i, I reckon i could get ethics i can with, with my links i reckon i could go far if you, and you give me a pharma company I'll, i've got you <laughs> <laughs> search continues yeah we when we, we dealt a lot with um pfizer who did a little blue pill ah not a red one no no little <laughs> little branded blue pill um <laughs> I'm all, I don't need those. No, right. Let's go back to Alex then. Just a quick, quick fire. All right, let's go. Getting to know Alex Welburn. So I'm not going to ask you this one because I thought of something and it made me laugh. Right, if you could change your name to make it more bikey, what would you do? <laughs> more bikey. Yeah. Wow. And you can't, you can't look at the document. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just hide that document. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd have. I don't know really. I've got my be one. something that needs like, a bit pizzazz, but no, I can't really. I'd be Stram Bacon. Oh, I like oh. it. Well, <laughs> on on that on that route, I went for Alex X One Wheel Berm. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> triple, triple on that. Yeah. Oh god, that's your new Instagram name, Alex, for sure. <laughs> I'm going to have to put a little thing on the front of this going, not suitable for under 18s. Yeah. <laughs> Parental guidance advice. There we go. Right, that's, that, that's that segment over, isn't it? Done. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So then, what, what was your first race? My first race, that will be the Grisdale Mountain Bike Challenge, which the day I, the day I got hooked... Yes. It was... what is that, is, what's that round then? Is it round about the Red Loop there? Is it, or is it in the woods up up around it? I think it's it's in an it's away from the main visitor centre, 
Um, I mean, it was years and years ago. Yeah, I mean, it was my first ever race. I was wearing, I had a, what did I do? I had a Kona dog. I was wearing a Cannondale top. Yes. You know, and I'm three-quarter enduro kind of tights. And my, like, casual, like, walking mountain bike SPDs. You know, the pinnacle of fashion, you know, that that's, was. That's, that's quite a hilly, like, relatively, not for the area, so you're quite flat for the area, isn't it? But that's quite a hilly, like, introduction into racing. Yeah, me and my dad, we had some friends up in the Lake District and we just thought, oh, we'll do it. It's a, it's a challenge because I was pretty much just a trail rider. You know, your weekend mm-hmm. rider, I just enjoy going steady on the uphills and trying to hit the downhills as physically fast as possible, really. And we're like, oh, yeah, let's let's do it. And we made a complete faff of it. So we arrived, not really, the same as a campsite, but we had no camping stuff for starters. So we ended up sleeping in the car. And this is a story my dad will remind me of every single time. So about two o'clock in the morning, I we slept in the back of the car on a slope. Um, we had like, you know, Discovery back then. So we could, you know, you could fit two people in the back. And I'm a short ass anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And um, parked on a slope, so we're pointing down like that. And I go for a wee in the middle of the night, but I don't shut the door properly. And I just leave the light, the lights on the car blinding my dad. It reminds me of every single time. And we wake up in the morning, you know, after our very good night's sleep, clearly. We realise, as we're on the subject of fueling, we've got no food. Got no f- We're like, ah. So there's only a greasy burger van that was open, so I had some nasty bacon sandwich, you know. And, you know, this was before any university or my full understanding of fueling and performance, just to put that out there. You're like, this is great. This is what I need. (laughs) I think, you know, know, I had dry flapjack as my fuel and I think Lucas Aid Sport and my rucksack. And yeah, a set off. There's like, I don't know, there's mad like 500 people in this event. I think I finished about 100th and I was like 10th under 23 at like 14, 15. I was like, oh. I quite like this. And there's this bit of a prize presentation at the end. I was like, oh, I, 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 I want to be up there. And I was, I was hooked from racing from then. So I got involved in my local cycling club and, you know, got involved in their kind of coaching and education side of things, you know, and absolutely kind of just took off from there. It was a fantastic race. I was in bits, absolute <laughs> bits. <laughs> so yeah, that was my first race pretty much. It's great. Yeah. I outsprint- my dad found me at the end. I outsprinted him at the end. <laughs> you're just like you're like waiting in the woods resting ready for the final show <laughs> no nice and then in that case then that's your first one what's your best race in your opinion doesn't doesn't have to be like your best win just your best race you've done you know that is, that's a tricky one because there's a few different best races for all sorts of different reasons there's one point that sticks out which is kind of <laughs> well okay oh that's all right then so my best one for oh. my cross race would be um cyclocross national champs as a final year junior um i just i got second place behind which hugo robinson at this time and i just managed to ride back up to him in the last couple of laps and it's just me and him and i started to cramp up a little bit but i was still like pushing through and it's the first time there's quite a big crowd so for me that, that was a big experience of just having a crowd and you know people like shouting and yelling and all that sort of stuff and um started to cramp up a little. We just had to let him go. But there was a group of three of three riders behind us, about eight sec- eight to ten seconds. So it was absolutely all to play for. And as a junior, the top three would normally automatically get selection for the worlds. So, you know, there's a lot at stake. And I finished, I think it was just about three or four seconds behind him. So that's the closest I've been to a national champs jersey. Um and we both, you know, gave all each other congrats at the end of it, saying, you know, we've never pushed that hard for something you know because we you know it's the national champs jersey on the line 
you know, and that was, yeah, that that was a really good race for me. Just that feel good factor of having the crowds there and getting the selection and, you know, everyone wants kind of a piece of that. What's the best conditions for cyclocross? What, what suited you the best? Dry, muddy, sandy? To be honest, I quite liked it all. You know, if it was, we had one year, it was Bradford and it was an absolute mud fest where normally your back wheel would start to overtake your front wheel in a straight line. It was that muddy, <laughs> you're going that fast, you're sliding down, you know, and I quite liked, I liked a lot of the European courses as well because I, I, I did quite a few of the super prestigious in the World Cup courses like Coxida, um, I think Hugheide, um, and they were just, it's different to UK cross race and they were just fast, furious and the crowds were absolutely insane in there. And for the mountain biking, my best race was probably my first national win at Sherwood Pines, you know, where I was in, you know, I wasn't expecting it, but, you know, I raced it well. And it's when 29ers had just come in and the lad that I was battling with, I'm called Tom. Um, I attacked him going into a really tight, twisty piece of single track. Um, and I was on the 26 and narrow handlebars and I managed to get through it all just a bit quicker than he did. And I managed to hold that gap to the finish. And then that got me selection to my first World Cup um, in Hoofalies. So those are two kind of races that, really stand out for me you know where i thought actually i could have maybe what it takes to be a cyclist that's wicked i, I think show, show of pines especially like the, the early 29er days are there was it snowing that year i don't know one of the early one of the that was a couple of years but... before then but uh, yeah okay. we had one year it was snow that was yeah but, that was um, my first re- elite race that was first elite ah. race but yeah, i imagine like the early early days of 29 must have been horrible at show of pines it's like a classic british course of just like so tight <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I didn't go into still 29s until about three quarters of the, that way through where Form Bikes, based in Derby, had a prototype. And I was like, do you want to try it out? Because I thought 29er was a load of like marketing stuff. You know, it's, it's, the bike industry is full of at times. And then I went around the local woods on it. I was like, I absolutely love this bike. It's fantastic. <laughs> you know, I, think I, need, obviously... I need this. <laughs> yes. I was like, can I keep it, please? <laughs> like, um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize really Form was um, a UK company. Yeah, they're based just in Derby. Um, I was really good friends. So we had a local shop um, that was run by Matt Williams. And he supported our, we had a thing called Cycle Shack. And that, they supported me throughout my entire junior days. And that turned into Run and Ride, which is on the chase. And um, Form Bikes was a bike supplier there. And they funded us with the bike. So I was you know, in an absolutely fortunate position. I got you know two fully kitted out identical race bikes, um, you know, and they were great bikes to work on and yeah form form really did well with adam biggs who was um the brand manager at the time he then went to boardman and now he's back at form so it was nice to be supported you know local shop by local guys because he'd been yeah. a professional cyclist himself in france yeah and it was really it, they were great well that's our second sponsor lined up fantastic this is great. <laughs> well this lines of this question <laughs> as well i'd say what's the best mountain bike you've raced on to be honest that has to be my scott that has to be Ooh. my scott spark i will is it- is this t- Spark 29 or Spark 26? I know Scott... 29 They were quite late yeah. onto the 29 train as well. Yeah, no. So when I um, started my job at Train Shop, we had a conversation with John and we said, you know, we'll sort me out with a mountain bike to kind of race on the scene where I did that for about a year and a half in the elite scene. And for me, the mountain bike made such a massive difference. I've been on hardtails with talk with whites for the last about four or five years. And for me, being a rider that is smaller weight, the where I would suffer compared to anyone else I felt was those flat, kind of slight incline, bumpy sections where on a hardtail being light, you, you, you would get thrown out the saddle. 
So it interrupts your ability to produce that power. Whereas being on a full suspension, it pretty much flattens it out and you can just drive through it. So you're not getting bounced around on the saddle, um, which made for me a big difference. And, you know, people think that you can descend better on a full suspension. That might be true, but you can relax a lot more. You can recover a lot more. So obviously we were speaking in Milan San Remo earlier about saving that energy. It's essentially the same with the mountain biking. You know, as you're normally an elite, your last lap is just as fast as your first one. So you have to be there to be able to deliver that. And if you can do any, everything possible to reduce, you know, that sugar cube, that, you know, as an analogy that I often use, you know, you've got sugar cube and every time you go over your threshold power, you start to, you know, take a little suck on it or a bite of it, whatever people do with sugar cubes. <laughs> and, you know, you, you're saving that. <laughs> After find some horses and ask them. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and the fact that on that bike, you could have the, I think it's a triple lockout on it. I've got, you know, so you could have it semi-engaged or completely rigid and it was fantastic. So you got best of both worlds on it. Was that the um, the one they redesigned it quite heavily to what it looks like now? So when they'd be like, almost like Scott redesigned their whole range in the sort of play, when Nino first went to a 29er as well. Yeah, I it's, think it was that. It's the, I think it was like a no, uh, 18, 18 model. I think yeah, it is. They, are, they are rapid on the descent as well. And they, it's like, yeah, like and, a little mini trail bike. And they were train sharp colours as well. So it was, it was perfect. You know, oh. I did pick that one just for the colours as well, to be fair. That's how you should pick all bikes. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, okay, what about your best crash? <laughs> there's, a, there's a video of this one, I think, as well, actually, on my Instagram page. So, <laughs> so imagine this it's the first tarmac start in a mountain bike race we have had for since i can remember mountain bike racing and um i hadn't got my bike in time that way because it arrived in the post snapped in half so the car had sat on it or something like that so i was still on my last year's race bike which you know normally i do for the first race just with the timings of bikes because the national mountain bike would normally be quite early on in the year so that race bike's all set up and ready and, you know, I did some sprints on it the day before, get everything ready, got the course drilled in. You know, I was, I'm trying to build up the suspense here, you know, because I could do it in like three <laughs> seconds if we wanted, really. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm on the line, feeling good, you know, I can, I'm on it. You know, I think today I got all the technical sections ridden in, I'm feeling on it. So by the fourth pedal revolution, my chain snapped, I went flying, balls hit the top tube, went down left hard took out pretty much everyone else apart from the front row and my left <laughs> knee took absolutely everything there's a picture of my chain mid-air above my head like i managed snake. to hyperextend. <laughs> i managed to hyperextend my chin so it's that far off the ground and um yeah i couldn't walk for about two three weeks that yeah i bet you my were probably knee was the size of golf ball well funny <laughs> enough it's how it's how me and harriet met she felt sorry for me and sent me a text message the other day saying uh you're you okay that looked like quite a nasty crash and then <laughs> it was from there <laughs> oh there we go then every cloud just pity <laughs> pure pity <laughs> and it's been the same ever since yeah. well i went to try and get on back on my bike and i realized oh there's no chain and oh. my leg's not moving i was like oh the worst thing <laughs> was though i had to drive i had to drive myself home um and luckily it was pretty much motorway the whole way before my leg seized up and stopped moving because obviously <laughs> trying to deal on the clutch because i did the same i was in clandegla once and i got a bit carried away on a tabletop jumping around and you know trying to whip it you know thinking you're getting absolutely sideways and you know probably just freaking a black back wheel out a tiny bit and i landed it badly stuck my arm out but the weight pushed me back and i took everything from my shoulder i was like oh that's that's a bit sore and then riding back to the car park, not really knowing 
what I've done. And you know, some base layers are really tight to try and get it over your head. You know, they've got like a bit of a grip around your neck. Stuck my arm out and it just went pop and popped out. I was like, oh. <laughs> and I had to, and oh. might have had to drive myself to A and E with one arm. <laughs> that is horrific. Oh, on the God. wheel with your teeth, sort of like. <laughs> Cycling's just full of injuries. It's like I went on bike packing last year. We did the King Alfred's Way, and without realising that, I completely, completely obliterated all the tendons and ligaments around my knee, which took me out for three and a half months. So when he just, I think, around my second block of training, back after it. You know, it's like, and that wasn't, I didn't even realize I'd done it until about a week later in work when I started riding. I couldn't bend my leg at all. I couldn't ride for more than 15 minutes without being in <laughs> absolute agony. Oh, no. Yeah. It's just basically it's wait, you're waiting for things to break, either your bike or you. Well, it's my good leg and my bad leg <laughs> and my good arm and my bad arm. <laughs> They're the same side. <laughs> no, <laughs> left leg, right arm. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be walking around in circles. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I guess we, we, I would say what's your most humiliated moment on the bike? But I imagine that's pretty similar to your best crash. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's pretty close to it. I did one time. I think first day of cleats. You know, I think we've yes. all had that day where you tried to clip out, and it just doesn't happen. I, I just I, fell down. And went. I did mine outside the bike shop. Oh, classy! Yeah, so, yeah, just literally you get on there. This is great. Clip, clip. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had it where you're um, mid sprint and you unclip i did it for the first time ever um in calpe and i was just it was it was probably b road equivalent and i unclipped and just ended up on this um top tube one obviously one foot clipped out and just swerving to the other side of the road and managed to stay up and luckily there was nothing coming the other way but i don't know have you and if you had anything mid sprint that that's got to be a pretty horrific scary moment there's a video of nibbly doing it isn't there where he nearly hits the lamppost have you seen that he goes no. to sprint and unclips and like does like what you said he swerves but directly towards the lamppost and how he doesn't just hit this lamppost full chat i don't know it's really good and then, he just, then he just goes off and sprints away good old nibs like him right so what is one thing you do every day that you feel benefits you? That's a proper interview question. Isn't it? Cool, that is. It's like, <laughs> Wake <yeah>. up. <laughs> <laughs> Something that benefits me every day. Coffee. It's got to be coffee, hasn't it? Coffee yeah. is good for me. <laughs> good coffee is good for you. Local coffee is good for you. That's it. Support your local roastery. No supermarkets, yeah, well, basically. Uh, yeah, what am I on? I'm on the... Uh, trading post coffee at the minute i think they're based out of Brighton. They are, and got a... no they are, they're nice they are, they've got a lot of them a lot of them around that area and there's the craft works who i get a bag off about once a month as well i think they're in withersfield so you know Very support nice. your local coffee roaster it's important it so I, I, think I think seb's a bit of a secret coffee snob aren't you seb he doesn't, oh, he doesn't let on very much but his brother <laughs> often does mention it in our whatsapp group it's more the fact that I like I laugh at most things that cyclists do in terms of <laughs> aero gains, what gains of that. Yeah, I own uh, scale specifically for coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's got a built-in timer as well. It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, the, it's, it's the basic Harrier one. Yeah, you know the one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I do own more. Yeah, more coffee 
timing device. Yeah, I don't I don't record my rides, but I record um my coffee. <laughs> Your coffee extraction times. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then if there's one habit, what's one habit you've got that you think you need to kick? One habit. This podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just on Honest for me, messages. <laughs> it's probably more get, getting into a bit more routine with sleep, just having that hobby. I used to do it. I used to, well, a habit that I need to get back into is a habit I need to kick isn't get back into it. And it's just having, I used to just have like half an hour before bed, no screens, I just read a book just to try and switch off from it. Because um, of the amount of screen time that I have these days, you know, it, can, it just leaves you wired. So it's, you know, screen time is probably something I need to kick. And it's something I recommend to all athletes as well, you know, because obviously it's that blue light which can interfere your eyes you know you can see the coating on my glasses that's what that's for as well uh-huh. you know otherwise i get banging headaches in the afternoon and stuff like that so you know that's yeah that's that's, that's something useful for everyone isn't it yeah i mean i think I know it, it, they said about it on the hook it podcast and one of their little lockdown episodes is that the and i might have mentioned before like the grayscale filter if you okay. if you've got an iphone you can like turn on like a you can change different color filters and you triple tap i've set mine up so you triple tap the lock lock button and it puts everything into grayscale so it basically means like the, the colors aren't as addictive and you don't want to look at your phone for as long so you don't get stuck in those endless scrolls and sort of looking at you so you basically use it for what you need to use it for and then yeah. you put it down obviously you can just triple tap it if you take a picture or look at something that requires ah, color for like the most communist part. mode <laughs> essentially yeah <laughs> <laughs> all my social media stuff i have in a folder now rather than just having easy access where you swipe swipe onto the home screen yeah. it's there it's now in a folder so it's not as you know it's got those notifications setting on and the doom you know i hate any notifications available so i go yeah. look and clear them but at least if they're in a folder it's not as invasive because obviously phones do are oh, the next ones 24 7 so good to just have a away from that screen time i was say where, where, where's yours right now um, there you go mine's yeah there you right. go mine's yeah in, in, in like a a foot from me but there you go right yeah exactly you know, what's um you wearing leg warmers have you got socks over or under under oh. under no under. no uh, that's 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 wrong that sorry, that is actually incorrect <laughs> 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 um so i'd say as, as a taller fella uh, I, I can go if I go over, it hides the the shortness of my leg warmers. Yeah, same. <laughs> they have to bridge yeah, the gap. Socks have to bridge that's... the gap between my knee warmers that definitely don't cover my shins. <laughs> yeah, and in that case, then what's the perfect sock length? I like a, I like a high sock length. Not that you're going to play football on a Saturday sort of length, mm-hmm. but you know, three quarters between the midpoint of. Uh... <laughs> Would you say so... the use? The UCI ruling. <laughs> oh, yeah, to be honest, the UCI ruling is about right. You know, not not so. It's got to be below the, where the calf muscle finishes. Yeah. So it's not like bulging out. So just it's got to be free. Yeah, it starts it's to got go to be yeah. frame, framing your calf muscle. Yeah, Sam's got a tattoo right where it finishes. Yeah, but, it's got um... it's got to maximise your muscle look, shall we say? That's you it. know, your your muscle architecture, so it looks bigger than it probably actually is, especially in your my bald. case. Well, I'd say like whatever you wear. I don't, it doesn't matter what length they are, but they've got to be pulled to tension. Mm. Oh, you can't, you can't, yeah. I mean, that's going to affect your aerodynamics, isn't it, as well? Yeah. You, know, you, you might as well just chuck five watts in the bin there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got a question. Very quickly. This is completely, it just popped into my head. One by chain setups. How many watts are you losing from having one by chain setup in a granny ring to get up a climb? 
this is this is a very personal question sam isn't it as well <laughs> so, so what are you saying sorry how <laughs> so what having a granny what having like a double or just going for a single no it's as in yeah. okay on my road so bike you, i've got one bike you've, you've got the exact yeah. same ratios but by having a cross chain compared to a slightly less cross chain but still pretty cross trained um how many watts are you losing is what sam wants to know Say less well, than I mean, five. it could be up to 100 watts. You know, if you oh, put in no. that about 50,000 watts, you could be losing 100 watts here. Yeah, yeah. No. I'm <laughs> you not. Know, it's, it's like an aero lid will, you know, can save you 600 watts if you're riding at 2,000, you know, 2,500 million watts as well. It's an aero what speed bike. you're doing. Well, your, your actual problem is that the heat, the heat, it's like the air's going to be going over it. It's going to yeah. melt. That's your problem there. The friction of the air. Yeah. If your bike's warm when you get back from an interview session, you know you're probably going to be on the aero lid. Yeah, you touch your you touch your seat post and it's cold, but you can't touch your head tube. You hit ten. Yeah, <laughs> I mean to be fair, it will be more efficient with the right ratios and not cross training by quite a bit. And I th- I don't know where you can work it out. There is a jig that you can do. I think I think Muckoff might have done quite a bit of work when they were testing out the, um, their chains and their lubricants for um, Bradley's hour record. So it's quite a lot of working out to try and make the most efficient chain having the chain line it's obviously why time trialers now are trying to go on their one buys to try and have a bigger ratio cassette but so they can keep a straight line to try and make it as efficient as possible because it's like why a you know let's say a, um, a crank set based power meter and a power tap hub you can normally get a few watts difference in there as well because obviously yeah. the drivetrain losses as well so you know when i needed a pick me up and i had a power tap i'd stick a new chain on and boom five watts <laughs> yeah i suppose well, I it's a little bit I could test it, couldn't I? I could put my bike on my turbo and with my power meter pedals, I can then go to different gears and then check what the what the difference is. I tried it. I'm not sure if um, without going for like a scientific power meter, you'd be able to have enough sensitivity to do it. But you can always have a play. I've got a power tap if you want it, Sam. <laughs> Let's do some garage science. Yeah. I'm not doing intervals again. We've been through this. <laughs> I'm, I love the bit Gary signs. Okay, pastor or rice? What for? Uh, anything? What what's your, what, what, what you got? What's your card? Pastor or rice? You've got. You got to choose one. If you, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to get rice. Rice, rice. Fair enough. Oh, what's better for taste and what's better for performance? As a follow-up, quick fire. Well, are we, are we making the pastor ourselves? No, just standard oh. 99p for a yeah, but I've not, You haven't met Harry, have you? You know, they do, they do it for 20... You get penne for 29p in Audi. That's not bad. But I, still, I, still, I still think bought pasta, like sh- net regular pasta is still better than fancy rice. All day I do long. like ice. No, I don't think so. Tilda is up there. I don't... I, you're missing something. Well, so Uncle Ben's... Uh, they did an onion good. bargy one as well. That was really good, that was. What, onion bargy rice? Onion yeah, bargy rice. Um, I'm going to try that. It was good. Taste sensation. But you've got to use a rice cooker. If you don't use a rice cooker, then you're an amateur. I do have a rice cooker, and yeah. That's yeah. fact. <laughs> I just know how to cook rice, so it's fine. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. If you, if, you don't, if you don't have a rice cooker, then you're just not... Uh, it's like using... When you say rice cooker, do you mean microwave, yeah? <laughs> an inch slit you squeeze the bag a bit yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of mindfulness like doing pa- the squeezy bag of the pas- of the rice i like it <laughs> don't worry harry i'm here with you with the rice cooker nah, thanks mate and also just to shame you to even more those microwave bags are the worst thing for the environment as just just saying 
No, 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 Slow release, very slow release carbs. <laughs> when I'm slow 40, I'm going to win a Masters race thanks to those pasta bags, those rice bags. That's, that's, that's a good point. The long game. Um, right. Can we talk about aerodynamic cows? Can do. Just yeah. I want that. I want that as a title for our, for the podcast. So we have to talk about it. Otherwise, people are going to be like, "Why? Why is that the title?" Well, I think I saw the picture on, I don't know, it might have been Dan that tweeted it. I saw, let, let me quickly, quickly. It was in a meme. I saw it in a meme the other day. Someone no, saying, isn't like, it like a, is it, a, I think it's a Dutch company did loads of um, testing on different animals, didn't they? There's more, they've released more, more data on like a range of animals. All right. Uh, so what are we saying? Then? What's the most aerody- aerodynamic animals? What are you having in a race? A whale. Oh. I reckon a whale, I whale of some sort. Oh, it's, yeah, no, it's a snake. See it on there before it starts to blur it out. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an aerodynamic cow. An aerodynamic yeah. cow? Nice. It doesn't look that aerodynamic. No, I was going to say, there's a very big patch of red on its head, which I don't think is great, is it? Well, it depends on the scale. They've done an Imagine elephant a blue whale a lobster. with one of those pock helmets on. <laughs> what size would that be? That would be like an extra, 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 extra large, I suppose. What is a medium, medium park? A medium park. Someone also compared the cow against a jeep and a lobster. Yes, a lobster can't be very good at all. Surely, a lobster must be pretty bad. Here we go. Aerodynamics of animals. Whole section. Aerodynamics of a chicken cooked. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon it's faster uncooked or cooked? I would <laughs> say alive or dead. Or if you remember back? Pokemon, there's aerodynamics of Bulbasaur. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. What pro rider I mean, is most like a cow, do you think? Oh. Ghana? A cow. Yeah. It's more of a bull. Because <laughs> obviously you've got, um, what is it, Gripple's the gorilla, isn't he? Yeah, oh, that's his yeah. nickname as well. Yeah, I don't know about a cow. Pro riders are animals. We've done Who's that before, we? Who's the mongoose? Taylor Finney. <laughs> Taylor Finney loved it. Um, yeah, that was just their names. I want their personalities. <laughs> um, well, Nibali's a little snake. Rog, Rog is the um, is the coyote from Roadrunner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Pog is Roadrunner. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that. We'll we'll open that up to our listeners. Pro road riders as animals and why for next week. We'll do a little little Instagram competition for everyone. The best one. <laughs> Gets a free it's Scott kids, Spark cook, without a chain on. Oh, I just realised I didn't have my laptop plugged in. I was about to die. So, <laughs> right, no one panic. I'm back. back. <laughs> Do we have any serious questions now, or was that? Are we are we out of them? Oh no! Should no, we talk about? Um, are we sort of touched on it, didn't we? About 
uh, watts per kilogram and weight and stuff like that. But does that need a bit more, a bit more talking? So I think it's quite an important I, point. I mean, if I'm honest, I think that'd be better as a um, a bigger subject than we can give it. Yeah, right I think now. that needs a bit more time and a bit of respect on it, what it can allude to, the issues that we can face around power-to-weight ratio and why it seems to be quite prominent within cycling forums and riders as well. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's cultural, isn't it? That's the thing with it. It's, yeah. It's yeah, weight ingrained. is very... It's quite rife within cycling. as um, It's just the easiest go-to thing. And I'm, I've got a couple of stories that I can share for the next time as well about... Um, you know, riders on foreign teams and power to weight and issues with DS riders, DSs and the riders like that and stuff. And, you know, why it's not, shouldn't always be the primary focus unless, you know, you're absolutely on a grand tour riding up mountains. Yeah. And even then there's other factors and things that affect it that mean it's not just the only thing to, to measure your ability to do well on a bike. Well, and look at, at that look level, at Ghana, you have a full support team. <laughs> yeah. Mm you'll have a full support team around you so it's not you just trying to balance it out going on my fitness pal weighing out food it's you know you'd have a registered diet dietitian you'd have a physiologist you have the bike mechanics team you have a psychologist you have this full nutritional sport they've got the chefs on there you know there's that's that support in there for that rider always, as well so almost is, they it, is it even their choice like if they're being give told mm. what to eat it's um it's almost taking out their hands isn't it Mm. I will put out though, if you look, I think it was Sky used to share a lot of their chef's work that they used to do and their food looked absolutely fantastic. They are, there is a bit of a kind of a culture shift and rather than just, you know, your boring meals, coaches and DSs and, you know, support teams are understanding that actually riders need fun, exciting um, food and meal options. What's the awesome cycling chef, Alan? You know, his new book's out, Cycling yes. Chef 2, Cycling Chef 2, isn't it? You know, he's got some fantastic rep- recipes in there, you know, which can really spice up your normal kind of meals. And you need to have that, I think I said earlier, you need to have that positive relationship with food. You need to look forward to it. And some really good, easy, simple dishes. So if we're looking for a new, another sponsor. <laughs> another good old one, isn't it? It's um, the Feed Zone. Yes. That's another one with some good recipes in it. Yeah, and they've and got they've loads got of one- good recipes. And they one called the edible, the edible edition. Where it's like lots of little snacks and like race food that you can take on the bike. Oh, yes, cool. yeah, like rice cakes and etc. Probably yeah. done in a rice cooker. No, 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 in a pan. <laughs> Have a packet. Yeah, on a, on a barbecue rice cakes. Yeah, <laughs> barbecued rice, just how I like it. Mmm, <laughs> smoky. Yeah. All right, then. well, we've got we got a good good amount to cover for next time. Yeah, definitely. I think that'd be really good. And maybe we'll have a little, um, do some research and we can do like some top recipes that we found that we'd like to share with people. That might be quite fun. Seb can do mm-hmm. that. Seb's oh, yeah. corner. <laughs> so, Sam, somebody who loves cooking. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, Sam's one of those people that sees food purely as fuel. Yeah. And if it, if it could be injected into like. him, that, that's what you'd have. Oh my God. If there was a tablet and I didn't have to eat, I'd take it. Job done. Oh no, I'd love food no, from scratch. Can't oh. do it. Can't do it. I do want to get into it, but at the moment you also don't. I've got. You're happy not to. <laughs> yeah, I found a happy medium. Luckily, my wife is good at uh, finding food for me to eat that I like and making me try it. So uh, we found a happy medium of food that I can eat and like, which is helpful <laughs> for me staying alive. <laughs> You like your foods like you like your walls. There's magnolia. 
yeah be- beige and circular is often <laughs> it's often what i go for but vegetables i'm all about vegetables that's fine i'll eat i'll eat sprouts till the cows come home to the aerodynamic cows come home <laughs> yeah all right then lads well i think that's we've got uh over an hour ta- recorded stuff and we've got good stuff we, we, for next we, week we've tailed off well yeah is there any exciting so. racing any exciting racing we're looking forward to or plans that we've got we've got coming up uh, i'm gonna be sanding my bike down for the next three months so <laughs> watch <laughs> this space <laughs> yeah <laughs> What are you doing? Are you, no, saying that. Today. I, oh, oh no, go I on, Seb. Finish your segment. Yeah, Seb, you, you finish off your standing story. I've actually got a race coming up soon. Oh, I don't know how. Yeah, I know. I don't know how because um, I booked it ages ago, but it's on April the 11th or around that day. So I'm walking downstairs, but it's gone dark. Um, I've got an enduro coming up, but I don't have a clue if it's staying on or not. But it's the first round of the Southern Enduro Series. Oh, nice. So. Yeah, I've done, I've done nothing. But yeah, I, 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 I did one in September during COVID time. So that went ahead. So maybe because of like the format of Enduro where you're sort of riding on your own a bit like a time trial. Yeah, because the Southern um, XCs are coming back as well. Yeah. yeah. Mass, mass start. I suppose, well. but, but even like that, because it's not mass start Enduro, is it at all? So I should, it should be all right. So yeah, they, they, have, they, haven't post, they haven't posted this not on. So we'll see. That'd be good. Yes, yeah, so I'm actually going to have to ride my bike first now. Yeah, and we're entering Battle in the Bowl, aren't we? Yes, we are. I'm actually entered it. I'm going to do that in a sec. Yeah, I need to do that as well. That'd be good. <laughs> Two-hour cyclocross race. Maybe we could get some top nutrition tips sponsored by Talk for next week. That'd be well, good. Well, Harry, Harry, Harry's doing it as well as his first cyclocross race. Oh, yeah, you should, Harry. Did you guys ever do Battle on the Beach? No. No, I, 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 always, I always thought about it, but I was like, I just don't think I'm anything worse than riding on sand. Do you know what? <laughs> It it's was fantastic. You, we're doing nearly 30-odd mile an hour on the sand. Off-road, we averaged I'm... over 20 mile an hour off-road for that race. <laughs> it's, it's an insane race, isn't it? It's absolutely Basically, insane. the guys that were on cross bikes or the proper sand bikes, they'd done like their research, let's say, and they were on like big double setups, you know, with like narrow handlebars, rigid forks. I was on my full suspension with just my, with my biggest race ring, which at that time was a 36, spinning my absolute legs off, just like... <laughs> trying to go as fast as and these guys are just going i did like the format though of like how he like there was bits of it that were really like advantageous to the the sand bikes and the dutch riders and mm-hmm. then like the cross riders had their moments and the mountain bikes had their moments and the fat bikers just sort of trundled along at the back if you had a hardtail with a big front ring um and forks you could lock out you could you'd be absolutely fine on that that that'd almost be fast as one cross bike you can't go too far wrong if you can handle a cross bike well you'd be absolutely fine on that Oh, maybe no, we, should, yeah. we should go for that this uh, next year. That'd be quite a fun little trip, wouldn't it? It's really far away. It's in South Wales. Pembury. Hmm. Yeah. All right. That, yeah, that's, where I, that's where I crashed, crashed, actually. That's where I crashed at Pembury. That mountain bike race was the first national a few years ago. Ah. Mm. But you wished it was on sand. <laughs> Might have been a bit softer. And yeah. there wasn't that much tarmac anyway. I think, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tag you guys in the um, video. You can have a bit of a laugh. <laughs> we'll post it. That sounds good. Three peaks as well, Seb. We got to, you got to get training for that. Yeah, I'm up for redemption. Although I've only got canties now, so that's going to be fun. Oh yeah, you haven't got the crux anymore. You don't break anyway. I don't know why it matters what brakes you have. 
just a suggestion as far as you're concerned when it comes to cross bikes yeah okay harry what, what about you with your um long covid and stuff are you you're getting back on it or are you still waiting for some other random test uh i am still waiting for some other random test because the doctors don't know for sure if it's long covid or heart so they say we don't need to kill yourself by just going 200 beats per minute obviously so i've had um i've got i've had a blood test mm-hmm. to check for inflammation around the heart and that comes back in about a week and a half so they'll be looking and at they, uh, tropamine for that they didn't say i suppose they just didn't think i would remember the name to be honest so <laughs> they just said which is apparently the worst case scenario so i'm hoping it's not that but you never know uh and then i think they said they were also going to take a few other tests like um, anemia and things like that uh and then i've I've had an ecg where they check the electrical impulses and that's all pretty normal and then i've got another one where they actually look at the valves but i don't know what that is well it's good that they're doing it I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, okay, it's just when you get on the bike and you're doing quite literally, it's not an exaggeration at all. I match what like for per beat per minute, beat per minute. So like if I'm doing 180 Watts, I'm doing 180 beats per minute. It's absurd. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. So it's obviously something that's a bit wrong, but I don't know what. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm just going to take it easy. In the way. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it's odd because normally I would do a zone two ride at 145 beats per minute for like four, five, six hours. And now I'm doing literally 80 watts as like a warm down at 145, 150 beats per minute. So there's clearly something. Harry, happening. are you sure it's not the battery in your heart rate monitor? <laughs> I'm definitely sure because they've got, I've got an oximeter now to check. Okay. So they said, they said while I'm riding, check what your oxygen levels are doing. So I can see what's happening. Um, what have you seen? Yeah. Have you seen anything like below the eighties yet, or anything like that? No, that's what's odd. So nothing. It doesn't really drop too much. So when I'm just resting, it's between ninety-eight and hundred, which is obviously good. And mm-hmm. then when I'm riding, it just it's pretty stable between ninety-five, ninety-six. Um, okay, so that's not normal than so what you'd expect. Yeah, so it's it's not it's not bad, but it's just so you got it's like you've got a brick in your chest, I suppose. So it's probably asthma related, I imagine, but. Are they, doing any spiro- like the are they going to do any spirometry tests on you at all? I don't know. I already don't know. What, what's that? Um, so they'll do like a peak flow, <laughs> FEV, FEV1, FEC, FEV1. So you basically blow into a machine as hard as you can. So it's called force expi- um, expired volume and force expiratory volume and force vital capacity. So it just measures kind of how big and how forceful you can blow air out your lungs. You can do um, a flow volume loop as well, which will measure your exhale and inha- inhalation through a cycle um so your breathing pattern as well so it's one of the tools you can help diagnose um asthma as well yeah so i've got a peak flow monitor thing that i use so that's Mm -hmm. obviously a very rudimentary version of what i think you just described really where you just obviously blow into it and just measures what your peak flow is and that's not really that i think it's between it's normally about 700 and it's about 600 so it's not it's not too unusual i don't know i imagine the heart high heart rate is just because i can't get enough oxygen in because I can't breathe fully in, and therefore the heart rate's higher to try and get that oxygen around to the muscles. So. Yeah, and if the heart, because the heart is essentially a muscle, if there's fatigue or inflammation on the myocardium, then it can just have a kind of that impact on it. Well, yeah. 
Got, oh, you got to use oh, the proper you... words, the proper terminology. No, no, I've been watching Grey's Anatomy, having... so. <laughs> you guys having a really in-depth oh. conversation and Seb's getting his cat to attack his laptop. I don't know how you guys <laughs> oh, it, was... <laughs> it wasn't deliberate. It was not deliberate at all. It's more I'm intrigued because, like, I've, I've had the, um, I've had the echocardiogram and, and um, what's, the, what's the one above that? The CT scan. That's the one. Um, for a murmur in my heart. But like with the COVID bit of it, they've not really. Uh, Harry, you've had loads more than me. I'm a bit jealous now. I know it's actually. I'm actually quite. They've, they've ignored me. The blood. <laughs> I'm surprised how much they've looked into it. I think it's more because if they, well, I suppose yours especially because you had a, a heart thing, didn't you? I'm surprised they didn't look into that more because it could be quite serious, I suppose. Mm, I've not they done anything to warrant getting up to exercise. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've committed to the rest side of it, haven't I? This man, this man is sedentary. He's not doing anything anytime soon, <laughs> so he could go on the waiting list. <laughs> well, I will say, though, if there are any young listeners um, listening, as you do to these podcasts, there is a charity called Cry, um, Cardiac Risk in the Young. So anyone, they can check with a local school or the charity of when they're screening and you can go there for a free screening as well. So I think it, I think it's the French, um, it's a requirement to go through a cardiac screening before participating in sport. It's just, just to make sure that everything's okay and that they can see it. It's always a good thing to bear in mind. You know, I always used to get mine done every couple of years just to have that peace of mind as well. Because unfortunately think, I've lost yeah. friend, friends to it as well, um, unfortunately. So it is... More so common than people would like, yeah. So just just get it checked out. If you ever any ever have any weird feelings or issues, go see the doctor, GP, get it booked in, and just just check. You know, to finish on a a serious but kind of useful note. I yeah. Think. yeah, and I think the nice thing is that with a lot of people recording a lot of data is you've got you've got data to back up your weird spikes of that. You can you can obviously download if people have activities you watch them all the time. You can download all that data. You can download all your like your Strava files. You can even prove what you've been doing at certain intensities with a bit of anecdotal evidence. So it's not like yeah, you're just trying to. You're not like you're whinging if you've got actual proof that your heart rate's going above a max heart rate. Um, yeah, it's pretty conclusive, and they can do some further testing and stuff on it. Yeah, and it's best just in doubt, just get it checked out. It you know, worst comes to shove that it's nothing, and that's it. You know, you've just had a few leads onto you. It's completely painless. They just sit on there, stick them around. Twelve leads on you. That's it, and they read off. You know, it's not. Yes, it's nothing invasive at all. It's better just to get it checked out. You know, because you need your heart at the end of the day. It's an important Good part advice. of you. And while you're at it, help. if you're a man, check your balls, and if you're a woman, check your boobs. Absolutely, if in doubt, check yeah, it out. <laughs> yeah, could aerodynamic cows and check it out. That's there we go. That's I'll say twice. Socks. <laughs> what a podcast it's been. Yeah, and socks are banned on the top of that leg warmers, no matter what. Oh. <laughs> Do you say bang on top? A band you, on you top. Ch- oh, band on top. Obviously, a bang mm. on top. I thought you should have changed your tunes. <laughs> I think. I think that. I think that should be an Instagram poll. I think, and we can. Yeah. We can let the audience decide. I think so that's no, because no, yeah. you you forget where we live. That's the problem. We live in the trendy <laughs> south. <laughs> so do you always put if you wear velitos and you've got leg warmers on do your velitos go under your leg warmers no i don't have rukas so i don't wear velitos <laughs> <laughs> personal well, <if> personal <laughs> i mean if i'm wearing velitos i, I probably wouldn't have leg warmers yeah all right. They are, you know, they're one of the hardest things to get on your shoes in a race. That's probably the hardest thing is putting them on them before a race. Yeah. It's I did not try to get them things over. It is a nightmare. And then you and rip then... them. Yeah, but yeah. it's a velotoe, it's not, it's not, it's an overshoe, isn't it? 
yeah. not a it's not a sock. So an overshoe no, no. would go over a leg warmer. Yeah. I'd agree on that. <laughs> if you like... actually want the Venatoes to work properly, you actually have to have them underneath your leg warmers because obviously the water will run down through the leg warmers and go underneath the seal of the Venatoes and then into your socks and get your feet wet. Great point. Oh, yeah. Mm. All right. Well, that's still that's the art of wet weather racing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thanks very much, gentlemen. That was a <laughs> insightful and fun chat. And more again next week. Absolutely. All right. right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe, everyone. Bye. Bye. Check your heart. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's absolute dick. It's dick cam. That's what it is. <laughs> it's like it's like you're wearing a go. You're wearing a GoPro chest mount like a nappy. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever gonna get that image out of my head. Yeah. Give me some sugar, baby. <laughs>